Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Well, I, uh, I counted a privilege to be able to come to midweek and open up uh, God's word with you guys tonight. Anytime I can come and, and hang out with you guys is, is definitely a win in my book. So uh, if you uh, have your Bibles, and I trust that you brought them with you tonight, open up to 2 Timothy. We are going to be starting chapter 4 as really over the next two weeks we draw this series to a close. And so uh, tonight we're going to be focusing in on, on verses 1 through 8 of chapter 4 in 2 Timothy. Um, I want to introduce you to a guy in my life uh, who played a pivotal, a pivotal role. His name is Mark. And uh, Mark self was a, an ordinary guy, a businessman. Uh, who lived in Simi Valley, and, and as I was becoming, uh, as I had become a, a new believer, he's the guy who, who invested his life into mine. It, it, was, it was an incredible experience to walk through life with someone who, who wanted to teach me my Bible, wanted to be a, a role model in my life of what it looked like to walk with Jesus. Mark and his wife, Tammy, were faithful leaders of our college group. At this small, this small church in Simi Valley, we, we had the privilege of having two people that, that, that although they would consider themselves ordinary people, they invested in our lives in an extraordinary way. See, Mark wasn't a pastor. He worked for Hertz. Hertz Rent-A-Car. But that didn't stop him because he was a faithful follower of Jesus. He was patient with me as I learned my Bible. And trust me, he needed all the patience he could muster up. He showed me over and over what it looks like to to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus. He put in time with me, both lecture and lab. Both are important. It's not just the teaching. It's also, it's also what happens in, in our day-to-day life. He, he set an example for me. He cried with me. He celebrated with me. We did, we did life together for, for many years, and, and he's ultimately responsible for a good chunk of my early Christian development. Well, for the past three chapters, and really the past three chapters and the whole book of 1 Timothy, Paul has been doing this with his young disciple Timothy. He's been pouring into his life. He, he's been pouring into his life, and not just his life, but the life of, of Christians all over Ephesus. As this was meant to be read widely, it was meant to be shared with, with the churches in Ephesus. By my count, there's 33 imperative commands in 2 Timothy alone. 33. 76 total in the book of First and 2 Timothy. And what that tells me is that that Paul is discipling Timothy. That he's discipling Timothy and he's discipling the believers at Ephesus of what it looks like to live out this faith in Jesus. 
He's, 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 he's writing with them, to them these imperative commands that, that lead them to a better understanding of what God is calling us to as followers of Jesus. So what he's doing is he's leaving a legacy for Jesus that, that Paul knew would outlast his lifetime. We talked when, when we kicked off this series that, that the book of 2 Timothy is the last book that Paul wrote. He's sitting in a Roman prison. Emperor Nero is running rampant all over the area of, of what's now, uh, well, the, the Roman Empire and specifically what's now uh, Turkey and, and Greece and, and the, the places where Paul uh, would, would uh, plant all of these churches. And, and he knows what awaits him. He knows that death is at his doorstep. And so he's writing this book of 2 Timothy with, with kind of that, that idea coloring every page, every word, every dot that he writes on the page is, is with this idea that, that this is it. He's leaving this legacy. This is, this is the, the last bit of, thi- of, of doctrine, the last bit of encouragement, the last bit of information that he's gonna hand down to this young man who has meant so much and will carry the torch for the next leg of the, of the race. And this week, Paul's gonna do two things as he nears the end of his second letter. First, he's gonna bring the discipleship of Timothy and, and the church at Ephesus to a close with nine more imperative commands. In these eight verses, nine more imperative commands, discipleship. He's discipling Timothy. And two, he's going to actually, as he is in the middle of writing the last chapter that he'll ever pen, he's going to take a nostalgic look back at the amazing life that the Lord's written for him. A look back that I think it should inspire us as followers of Jesus to strive for similar things with our lives. Last week, Brad was here and and he talked about uh, the word of God. He talked about the word of God, the, the inspired, authoritative, powerful word of God. He, he got down to, to verses 16 and 17. And that's where we're going to pick up uh, here as we, we revisit what Brad talked about last week. Because it's going to inform what, what now Paul's going to say to Timothy in chapter 4. Where he says that, that the, the word of God is inspired, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Not only did Paul want to pass down a right view of God's word, but, but now in, in chapter 4, he also wants Timothy and all the believers in Ephesus to know that God's word is too valuable, too important, too life-changing to be kept to themselves. That now there's an imperative command that goes along with a high view of Scripture. If you have a high view of Scripture, which we all should have, there's something that as followers of Jesus we need to do in response to our high view of God's word. So let's take a look at verse one with that in mind. He says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you or or I call you or I testify to you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. He uses these, these two phrases to identify 
something that they're awaiting for Christ to do. Because when, when Jesus was here, he said, not only is he gonna rise from the dead, but he's also gonna return. He's gonna come back. And what he's gonna do when he comes back is he's gonna appear first, but then he's gonna set up his kingdom. He's gonna return and he's gonna set up his kingdom. And, and I think this colors all of what Paul is trying to pass down to Timothy. Because what he's saying is, as we live this Christian life, we have to live it with a kingdom perspective. See, the world will, will find ways to infuse itself into your life. The, the world does not struggle at, to find ways that it can infuse itself into your life. The, the, the world does it naturally, whether it's, it's by media or it, it's by advertisements or it's by people. The world does it naturally, but we Christians, we have to live our lives with the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, the return of Jesus, and the establishment of his kingdom in mind. We are not, we, we don't belong to this world. We are aliens in this world. We are visitors. This is not our home. And so Paul reminds Timothy that, that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead when he appears, when he comes back, and he establishes his kingdom. The kingdom is what drives our purpose. One of our uh, foundational practices is living on purpose. It's, it's the idea of living with kingdom mindset. And that's what Paul is going to charge Timothy now to, to do, to be prepared for the return, to live your life as if you're an alien. In verse 2, he continues, if you have a high view of Scripture, then preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. He says, preach the word. He says, if, if God's word, which it is, is actually inspired and authoritative and powerful, then share it. Preach it. Preach the word. And he says, he says, be ready in season or out of season. Because God's word is the only thing that has the power to transform lives. And the, the term in season and out of season literally means whether or not your circumstances make it convenient or not. Whether or not your circumstances make it convenient. Co context, ready? He's writing from a Roman prison. He's writing from a Roman prison. He, he's living in a world where being a Christian was not convenient. And beyond what it looks like for us, right? It's not convenient uh, for us because... I mean, we might get some, some messages on Instagram if we post a Christian, a, a Christian message. Like that's the, the, that, that might happen. Like you might get some pushback because you, you're proclaiming the things of Jesus. We're, we're talking about life and death. And Paul's going in season or out of season. It doesn't matter whether or not it's convenient. It doesn't matter what your, what your consequences are. Preach the word in season and out of season. Under persecution or not under persecution. Because God's word, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, is inspired and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. He moves on after he, he, he gives those brackets of in season and out of season. And he says, use God's word to reprove, which means to convict, to rebuke, which means to correct, and to exhort, which means to encourage through the word of God. The word of God 
encourages, it corrects, it convicts. It's the power of life transformation. So, so don't fumble your role as, as a preacher of God's word. Share. Share what God's word says to you. Share, share what God's word says to the world about Jesus and, and the hope that is found only in him. But then he finishes. I, I think some Christians wishes he stopped, stopped there. Like if he, if he just stopped there, it's like, yeah, I got that. But he doesn't. He says, with great patience and instruction. How many of you like patience? I don't. The world would be easier if we didn't need patience. Amen? But there's two ways to preach God's word. There's two ways. So I, uh, before I became a pastor, I worked downtown Los Angeles at a, an advertising agency. And it was an hour commute from my house. And so they gave you two options. You could either take the train or you could drive in L.A. traffic uh, to the middle of downtown Los Angeles. And so I said, sign me up for the train. I'm in. So I would get on the train in, in Simi Valley. I would take it down to L.A. And then I would transfer to what's called the red line, the subway in L.A. And I'm getting on the subway and this lady, I sit down and this, this older lady, she's, she's walking up and down the aisles, or up and down the aisle of the, the red line. And she's just saying the same thing over and over and over. She's saying, repent, repent. She's like looking at people as she's walking up the aisle. She's like, repent, repent of your sins, repent of your sins. There's no relationship whatsoever. She's just walking up and down the aisle yelling the words repent. She, what she's saying is not wrong. People need to repent. But it lacks patience and instruction. It, I, I was literally sitting there hoping, please don't talk to me. Like, please just, just keep walking. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to be a part of what, of, of what is happening here. And, and it's not that her message was wrong. It was her method. Because Paul tells Timothy, hey, preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In other words, intentionally and with gentleness. Intentionally and, and with gentleness. And then in verses 3 and 4, Paul's going to give Timothy the why. Like, why preach the word? Why does it matter? Why, why do the last three chapters of this letter, why, why does it matter for us to, to preach the word? Why, why is there such a big focus on that in his letters? And it's going to sound familiar to you, but Paul's going to show you what happens when leaders refuse to preach the truth of God's word. Verse 3, look at it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. He, he, says, he says, Timothy, you have to be about the word. The word is the authority of life. Without the word of God, people will just want to hear the things that they want to hear. They're going to surround themselves with echo chambers that are just going to share with them whatever it is that they want to be affirmed. He, he says, we need preachers. And we need a community who will tell us what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. 
He says that those are the people we need to surround ourselves with because there will come a time when people don't want to hear the truth. Sound familiar? There will come a time when people won't want to hear the truth about sin and depravity. There will come a time where people don't want to hear the truth about biblical sexuality and gender. There will come a time where people don't want to hear the truth about divorce and adultery. There will come a time where people don't want to hear the truth about the value of human life. There will come a time where, where people don't want to hear the truth about the consequences of sin and hell. And what they'll do is they're going to they're gonna leave the churches that actually teach the truth and they're going to find some church out there, some, some message out there that is going to give them the tickling ears of what they're looking for, that's going to actually speak to them the, the, the things that they want to be true. Someone's going to affirm the thoughts that are not in the Bible. And I don't know if you've looked around our society lately, but we're here. The time has come. Our society has thrown truth away. It's replaced it with acceptance. Churches are replacing doctrine with opinion. And they're replacing preach the word with entertain the masses. Kristen and I were uh, out of state. We were visiting a, a pretty well-known church. And, uh, you know, we, we, were, we were just looking for a church. And, and I'd heard of this church. And so I said, hey, do you want, do you want to go and, and visit this church? And she said, sure, let's go uh, take a look. And so we went to one of their Sunday services. And, and we get there, and the campus pastor's preaching. And I love that. I love campus pastors. It's amazing. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that, Kelly. Okay, so I should bring you with me everywhere that I teach. So the campus pastor's teaching, and I'm, I'm ready. Like they've got the lights, and the, the worship is on point, and I'm sitting down. I've got my Bible. I open it up, and I'm, he's like, we're going to be in Romans chapter 9, and I'm like, yes. Teach me. Let's go. So I open up my Bible, and I'm ready and in 36 minutes, he spent three minutes talking about the Bible. He didn't walk through Romans 9. He talked about two verses in Romans 9 for three total minutes. You know what the message was? He shackled himself to a box that said sin on the side and shared a bunch of stories about his life. And I, it was about, it was about a, a couple years ago. So I'd already been to the well for about four years. And I'm sitting there after, after the service is done. And I look at Kristen and I'm like, that was weak. That's like weak coffee. I don't even like coffee. I'm like, that was weak. And without missing a beat, she turns to me and she goes, you would have loved that four years ago. Because the truth is, once you have strong coffee, you can't go back to the weak stuff. Once you have the truth of God's word, it, every time you go and you expect to hear God's word being preached and it's not, it's a letdown because God's word is inspired. It's profitable. It, it, it's the thing that, that provides authority in our lives. And it's what gives us power. And so Paul says that as he passes down this torch, as he passes the torch down to Timothy, he has to continue to preach the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God because to steal a quote from John MacArthur, hard preaching makes soft hearts. 
and soft preaching makes hard hearts. And in the face of society's move towards ear tickling, Paul calls Timothy, and and so now I call us to something greater. Verse five, but you. So he's gonna contrast the world. He's gonna contrast where things are headed, and he's gonna say, but you, be different, be set apart. And he says, be sober in all things. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The NET says, be self-controlled. Paul's handing things down and moving things into the hands of Timothy to continue what he started. And he says, Timothy, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. But even in my absence, I want you to be self-controlled or sober, be, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist. In, in summary, fulfill your ministry. That's what it looks like when people move on. Andy Stanley says everyone's replaceable. And the, the truth of that is that there is an expiration date for all of us. All of us have a day where we, if we have faith in Jesus, we will go home to be with the Lord. And so this is what it looks like to move on to continue the work that the Lord has called you to. And as he nears the the end of his letter and his life in verse 6, it's as if he closes the book on discipleship. And he just gets lost. He just gets lost in his own thoughts and his reminiscing. It's almost like he's got like sitting down at his like stone desk. That's what I picture them having. Like he's got this like a stone stacked up and, and he's sitting down in a super uncomfortable chair and, and he's got his quill. I don't even know if they use quills, but I imagine that they probably did. And he, he's dipping it in the ink and he's writing and then he gets to this verse and he just stops. And he looks up and he just starts to remember the life that the Lord has allowed him to live. Verse seven, as he's reminiscing, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And I want you to, to notice the language here. This is, this is the language I imagine if they had um, epitaphs, the, the statements on the, the headstones or the tombstones in, in a cemetery. I imagine this is what Paul would, would have written on his, on his epitaph. Like, I've I fought the good fight. I, I finished the course. I, I kept the faith. And he uses these, these like grueling illustrations. They're not easy things, but they're rewarding, right? They're, they're not easy to, it's not easy to go 12 rounds with Mike Tyson in his heyday. It's not easy to run a marathon, right? Those are the things I want you to think as we, as we talk about him fighting the good fight. You got to think he went 12 rounds with the world. When you talk about finishing the course, he, he, ran, he, he went the distance. Like he, he probably wanted to walk a, a few times in his marathon, but, but he just kept going, and then he, he wraps those two illustrations into what it looks like for our faith. And he says, I kept the faith. He dealt with the blows and the fatigue of life, but he persevered to fulfill the calling that the Lord placed on his life. And I thought, let's take a look back at Paul's life. What does this look like to to fight the good fight, to, to finish the course, to keep the faith? Well, in Acts 9... 
we get the, the story of, of Paul's conversion. He's, he's literally like on his way down the road to Damascus to go to Damascus to, to shackle up Christians and bring them back so that they could put them to death. Like he, he's all in on persecution. He's walking down the road to Damascus and, and all of a sudden a, a light flashes. It's kind of like when, you're take, when someone takes a picture and the, the flash goes off right in front of your eyes. But, but it's bigger than that because he can't see. He's blind. And he goes, who's there? And, and Jesus says, uh, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And, and, and he goes, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus. And from that day forward, something changed. See, Jesus, in that moment, he changed Paul's life. He moved him from killer to church planter. And he looks back as he's writing this, and he's like, remember that? Remember when Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart on the road to Damascus and completely changed my life? Maybe some of you have a similar story. Romans 1.16, Paul writes that he's not ashamed of the gospel, the very gospel that he was out to squash by killing Christians. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel, which the gospel led to some jabs and some uppercuts as he fought the good fight. Listen to how he describes those jabs and uppercuts in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 27. He says, five times, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. His back is just tattered. He's got, he's got scars that just fill his entire back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul, Paul went 12 rounds. He ran the marathon. As he looks back, you think he's thinking about those 14 or more churches that he planted? The churches, some of the names that you would recognize that Paul ended up planting is Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus, just to, just to name a few. He looks back at his life and he's like, this is incredible. The Lord has given me such an opportunity, such a life. He wrote 13 epistles, half of the New Testament. Some will tell you 14. Don't let them tell you that. I don't think he wrote Hebrews. But uh, he's looking back at, at this journey that the Lord has taken him on and I think two things fill his soul. Satisfaction at the life of faithfulness that he lived and confidence. See, he, he hasn't been perfect in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I, I don't want to do, I do. That's the, that's the Christian life, the tug of war between, between uh, the, the spirit and the flesh. He, he, he brings that to light. He, he hasn't been perfect, but he has been faithful. 
He's been faithful. He's lived this faithful life. He's exalted Christ with his life. That's been his mission. And by the grace of God, as, he, as he's getting ready to breathe his last breath, he succeeded. And he, so he has satisfaction and confidence. I wonder at the end of your life, is there a better way to look back on it than with satisfaction and confidence? And as he thinks about his faithfulness to the life that Jesus called him to. He remembers the reward that awaits him, that it was not in vain. Verse 8, he says, In the future, however soon that day comes, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So he continues the athletic analogy. He, he continues with the, the athletic analogy. The, this is the idea of like the wreath, the, the, the crown of righteousness is like a wreath given to victors in Greek races. He's saying there's, there's a, a crown that awaits him for his faithfulness. I'm hoping that when I get to heaven, that mine will be made out of hair. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've had some. But what's inspiring about Paul's last days is the confidence that he has in the Lord. The confidence that he has in the reward. There's not an ounce of fear in his writing. He's taken up his cross. He's sacrificed as Jesus calls all of his disciples to do. And he is sure that, that it wasn't a waste of time. They didn't, he didn't sacrifice his life in vain. There, there was no other way that Paul wanted to live. Sure, he received five times 39 lashes. He was beaten with rods three different times. He, he, he's been on frequent journeys with dangers upon dangers upon dangers. But in the end, he lived the faithful call and he saw God do incredible things through that faithfulness. And after he came face to faith with, face with Jesus, he he sure didn't live life with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. See, Jesus met him on that road, transformed his life, and Paul threw away the old self. It doesn't mean there wasn't tension. It just means he was no longer defined the way he was before the road to Damascus experience. He didn't live with one foot in and one foot out and I think in our culture, in, in America, where it doesn't cost us much to follow Jesus, it's so easy for us to live the Christian life with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom, hoping that nobody notices, hoping that it's enough. And we look back at the life that Paul handed down to Timothy through his teaching and through the way he modeled, and we realize that God calls us to live our lives fully submitted to him. But, not, but Paul is not the only one that gets this reward. Look at the, the way this ends. He talks about the crown of righteousness, but he says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The promise of reward is for anyone who longs for Jesus' return. That means you and me, those, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we have the promise of a crown of righteousness as we enter heaven, as we, we do eternity with Jesus. We get this crown of righteousness. And for Paul, it was his greatest goal. I want to ask you, what is your greatest goal? Is your greatest goal to 
to receive that crown of righteousness for the life that you live for Jesus or some other aspiration driving your life. See, at the end of his life, Paul is not reminiscing about the cars he owned or the, the house he, he, he was able to purchase. He, he's not reminiscing about the, the, the job that he secured, and, and he's not reminiscing about the wealth that he was able to build up. Everything he's thinking about has eternal value. As he's getting ready to enter into his eternity, he's thinking back on those things that he's handed down now to Timothy. His life flashes before his eyes. And the guy who in 1 Corinthians 11 once says, follow me as I follow Christ, is, is wrapping up his discipleship of his young apprentice. And he takes a deep breath knowing that he gave his life away for Christ's sake. He left it all in the field. He's invested in the next generation. He's, he's lived his life on purpose. And I think this passage leaves us with three questions. First, what or who is driving your life? Second, what are you passing down? And then finally, who are you investing in? So what is driving your life? Paul's life is a remarkable life if you look back on it. And everything of value that he had to pass down was not the wealth that he had, but it was the eternal things, the things that had eternal value. And those things are rooted in the transforming work of the gospel of Jesus. He, he has a whole four chapters to pass something down to Timothy. And all that he can think to pass down are the things that have eternal value. Second question. What are you passing down? Paul passed down right doctrine. He passed down essential values. He passed down uh, what he modeled as far as Christian living. He, he, he set an example of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And the question that you have to kick around as you do life, as you, you know, walk out the rest of your days, is the things that you have to pass down, are, are they things of eternal value? Are you passing down things that matter to your kids and your grandkids? Are you passing down things of eternal value to those people that God has put in your life that, that could consider you a mentor? Do the things you're passing down truly matter? And then the last question, who are you investing in in your life? You can't pass things down to nobody. Paul had a Timothy. Who do you have? What does it look like for you to invest your life into somebody else? We're called to make disciples. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Make disciples. So what disciples are you making? Who, who, who are you investing your time in? Is it your kids? Is it your coworkers? Maybe you're mentoring someone through Regen. Maybe it's people in your life group. Maybe you walk around because you come to midweek, so you can walk around on Sunday. You just come to church, walk around, and be like, do you need a mentor? Do you need a mentor? That's what Bob Corey does. <laughs> who is mentoring? Who, who are you mentoring in your life? See, when I pr first put my faith in Jesus, the Lord put Mark's self in my life. 
He's from Oklahoma. He didn't even belong in Southern California. He stood out like a sore thumb. But he preached the word. He modeled it. And he invested in me intentionally and patiently. And as I stand up here, I could never thank him enough. I shot him a text this week. I said, hey, I'm going to give you a shout out in my sermon. Thank you for all the time that you invested in me while you were out here. He's back in Oklahoma now. And he just said it was a joy. I bet he feels like he got more out of it than I did. And here's what's amazing. And here's what I want to leave you with. The thing about Paul and the thing about Mark is that on their own, they're ordinary people. They're, they're, there's, nothing, there's nothing extravagant about either of them. They're, they're just, there's humans. They're flawed. They're not perfect. They don't have the, 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 the market cornered on how to disciple people. See, on their own, they're just ordinary. But what made them extraordinary is the Holy Spirit. And here's the freeing part. As you consider all of these things that we've talked about tonight, that same Holy Spirit that they have, that same Holy Spirit that, that led Paul to this extraordinary life, the, the same Holy Spirit that led Mark to, to have this incredible impact, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the same Holy Spirit that's inside of you, which means your ability to leave a lasting legacy for the sake of the gospel is limitless if you just open your hands and let God do what he wants with your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you as Paul passes down this, his life to Timothy, that he would model what it looks like for us to disciple so well, to be rooted in scripture and right doctrine, to live a life worthy of the call that you've placed on us. Lord, I pray that you would inspire each of us. Work through your Holy Spirit in our lives to pass down what's valuable to the next generation. Lord, let us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, leave a lasting legacy for your kingdom in the time that you've given us here on earth. We love you. We can't wait to see what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.